Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Graham McMillan and I exit June uh, with heads in hands and hearts in mouth with a two-hour episode talking about the latest revelations from the North American comics industry and the allegations against Cameron Stewart, Warren Ellis, and Brendan Wright. I mean, we also give you a first hour wondering about Dark Knight's Death Metal Number 1, Blue Flag by Kaito, uh, Justice League Europe, Old Letters Columns, Interspecies Reviewers, Green Lantern, and much more before we spend the second hour being incredibly angry and disappointed. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham Jamelhouse McMillan. How are you, I'm, sir? I'm sorry, could you repeat my middle name there, please? Well, I, I okay, I know that sometimes you give people crap for mispronouncing it, but Jamelhouse McMillan? <laughs> Jamelhouse! Am I saying it wrong? Is it Jamil? I think it's Jamiroquai. Jamiroquai. Graham Jamiroquai McMillan. I remember, I remember, like, I had that house where, like, all the furniture was moving, and I was just doing this, like, really annoying dance thing. Oh, let's not even talk about the annoying hat that you wore for, like, ever, ever. Look, I was going bald, and I didn't want anyone to know. <laughs> and I thought, what better way to not draw attention? Absolutely. Let's wear a giant fucking furry hat with horns on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it worked. I think, well, you know, I got to tell you, between that and the furniture, <laughs> it took us... Well, to, to be fair, the furniture did, did distract a lot of people. Uh, it, absolutely. There was no denying that the furniture, as a uh, distraction gimmick, 100% worked. Yeah, it really does. It really does. I'm, uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to work my way up to that sort of thing. I've got a, I've got a, um, a uh, Paps Blue Ribbon uh, trucker cap, and uh, I've got a chair that I occasionally knock over when I stand up too fast from the dinner table. So, <laughs> yeah, what you need is you need someone to move the walls around to make it look like the floor's moving. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, one great thing about this house is give it a few months, and I'm sure. <laughs> you know what's sad? I honestly can't remember one of Jamiroquai's songs. Like I I I want to like do the punchline of you know suddenly breaking into Marikai song and I fucking can't remember any of them, Jeff. See, I can remember the one, but I can't remember how it goes because it's well, the one, isn't it? Well, there's actually two. There's there's the one where he's singing in the moving room, and I just I don't remember anything from it. Da da ba ba da 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 You know something. <laughs> Like, I like that. that. I like, this. like it literally sort of quasi turned into Scott there. Yeah, it, it literally quasi did. Da, uh, da, da, ah. da. I, I was doing the jazz hands too, so oh, I was yeah, it's kind of a shame I didn't wasn't able to catch that. And then there's the one uh, I think Napoleon Dynamite. I believe he's dancing to a Jamiroquai song that might be called something like "Just Dance" by Jamiroquai. Uh, parentheses well, apart, apart, Jamiroquai's dance song. The floor moving one is called Virtual Insanity. Thanks, Ooh, Google. Virtual Insanity. Da, 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 bah, doo, doo, boo. <laughs> I just looked up his Wikipedia page. Oh, God. I is it him in the hat? 
Yeah. Well, it goes history, 1991 to 1992 formation. 1992 to 1999, international breakthrough. <laughs> 2001 to 2011. Do you know, honestly, know what it says? The long slide down? No. A funk odyssey dash rock dust light star. <laughs> That's actually what it says. Uh... The group issued their 20, uh, 2001 follow-up, A Funk Odyssey, a primarily disco record that explored rock and Latin music influences. Mm. Yes. There you go. Uh, and that was followed by their sixth album, Dynamite. And then finally, Rock Dust Light Star. That's the name of an album. Yeah, that's what I figured when you said it. It just sounds like – because it sounds so um, concept Terrible. album from – Yeah, exactly. Terrible, therefore concept album – but also concept oh, album for people who don't know what they're doing. I, I did, um, thankfully, forget, apparently, mm-hmm. that his 1999 album was called Synchronized, but it's S-Y-N-K. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, yes, listen, it, uh, it. so how exactly did they end up with your middle name, exactly? Was that a thing? Are they Look, named after you? Well, or? you may or may not remember that the lead singer of Jamiroquai is called J.K. Oh, Um, it's actually, uh, he also wrote the Harry Potter stories and then he just like, he hired J.K. Rowling. Uh, it was, it it was, it was a gimmick that, you know, as we can all tell now went horribly wrong. Oh, definitely. Uh, That sort of explains why the stories are in their own way. So, um, you know, open and accommodating and she's a transphobe. So... (laughs) Yes, that's the explanation. You're right, Jeff. That's 100%. Because Jamiroquai wrote the Harry yes. Potter novels. Yes. We've got a, yes. another uh, another wait what breakthrough for us. Let me tell you, our biggest scoop yet. All I'm saying is, you know, obviously with uh, J.K. writing the Harry Potter stories and then hiring J.K. Rowling, uh, he was obviously hanging around in Scotland a lot in the 90s. Of course. And uh, it was like 91 or something. Uh-huh. And, you know, all I'm going to say is it was a high-stakes poker game. <laughs> and, and I lost. And he actually just he just decided that what he was going to take from me was my middle name. Oh. And I was like, what are you going to do with the middle name? And he went, I'm going to make the worst fucking band ever. Mm. And when you use your middle name. And so everyone, whenever they hear your middle name, is going to be like, aren't you that really fucking annoying rock dust light star band yeah yeah no 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 that's the different synchronized band yes yes nice well it it fitting revenge but at least you got to keep your bat outfit from that period (laughs) (laughs) oh jeff (laughs) deep cut thank Um, you so i'm I'm looking at i'm still on wikipedia Uh uh-huh I'm looking up the the names of the members of the band. There's J.K. obviously lead vocals, 1992 to present. There's Derek McKenzie. Derek is D-E-R-R-I-C-K, of course. Uh, he's been drums, 1994 to present. And then there's you know people with normal names. And then you get to former <laughs> members. Guess who played the saxophone and flute? I don't know. Gary Barnacle. <laughs> really wow yes. uh, these days of course living in a pineapple under the sea <laughs> <laughs> holy shit that's extraordinary that is um i gotta tell you graham let me i have been in a shit mood all day probably all week 
certainly, eh, yeah, for a while. And uh, I did not know we were going to start. I was like, well, we're going to talk about a lot of tough subjects tonight. Did not we know are, yeah, Jamiroquai was, was yes. like how we were going to like just really take off the kid gloves and go at it, so to speak. Wow. Yes, let's, let's, let's just start off with a note of levity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding, Graham McMillan. Uh, hey, before we get into things, yeah. for real, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of, um, let's just be honest, fucking bullshit ahead of us. Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to say that uh, I think the people who've been leaving comments on the doc from last week are mm-hmm. uh, have been really fucking stepping up this week. Oh God, yeah, God, you know I think? yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, Verd and 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 everyone else have have really been leaving some great comments. Yeah. Uh, related to that, I don't know if you saw the news, but they're re-releasing America. Yes, the uh, the script, the scripts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, which is um, pretty exciting. And, and because I'm very very posh, I got to see it. Ooh. Um, and it's it's kind of great, Jeff. Yeah. I wish we'd had a pro at the drop. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be awesome. Well, maybe we can do a follow up. Once I forget, it's not out for a bit, right? It's in they... September, I think. Yeah, so maybe September we can do a revisit. Because I have to say, there were some lovely. There were a lot of really lovely uh, comments in that thread that really. Uh, and I mean, some of it was in America. Some of it was the uh, there was Emerald Isle stuff, which yeah, was Emerald Isle, the Emerald Isle stuff, fabulous. Yeah, 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 which really, really good. Yeah, there have been some really, really great comments on that drug. I'm really, really, really like. I'm like you. You're all fucking great listeners. Thank yeah. you. No shit. <laughs> oh, no, huh? Really fucking great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other thing I want to say about the the um, dread scripts. Mm-hmm. Is it has, uh, I mean, for want of a better way of ter- putting it, an advertisement for the Essential Dread, Judge Dread America edition that's coming out also in September. Oh, wow. It's not just America. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they've basically said, like, it's America and, and thematically appropriate stories. Yes. It's the democracy arc. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. It's a letter to a Democrat. Right. And the revolution, which is the march. Mm-hmm. And then it's uh, politics, which is the Alan Grant one that we were like, "Oh, this is really out of place." Right. Remember where Dread kidnaps the the yes the um uh the democracy activists. Uh huh. Um, and then it's America, and then it's the devil, you know, which is Wagner leading up to the referendum that we haven't got to in, in mm. Drug yet. Wow. And then Twilight's Last Gleaming, which is the the result of the referendum. Wow. So that's a great arc. Mm. It's it, like even though it's called Essential Just Trade America, it's basically the the democracy arc. Wow, wow, that's excellent, huh? Um, and so that's September. It's America, obviously, is painted, and so is Devil, you know, in Twilight's Last Gleaming. But apparently, Letter from a Democrat, Revolution, and Politics are all going to be colored by John Higgins. Really? Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. Oh, that could be amazing to see, right? Yeah. Holy Christ! Huh? Wow. So that. That's kind of a uh, oh shit! That might be an essential purchase. Yeah, no shit, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't understand why they're calling it essential Dutch Red America because like America is like the big name story, right? But that completely disguises the fact that it's basically a democracy arc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's like there's there's a lot more there. I mean, if nothing else, just a collection that goes letter from a Democrat to revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think. Wow. So yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 very excited about that. 
But yeah, the the, um, the America script book is actually officially called America Lost and Found. That's right. Uh, and, then, and then the subtitles is the rediscovered scripts. And I should say they're missing two scripts, uh, scripts for two episodes. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. So the format is actually really interesting. It's not exactly what has been described. Mm-hmm. It's There's a, a Garth Ennis introduction. Right. Then there's a John Wagner introduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garth Ennis' is basically thematic. Like, mm-hmm. this is, you know, this is me talking about how great America is. Right. And then Wagner's is very specific. We refound the scripts. <laughs> right. Um, and then he does an introduction for each episode's script. Huh. Yeah, and it's like, when I say introduction, like, it's, you know, one or two paragraphs. Right. Um, but for the episodes that they don't have the scripts for, he basically annotates that episode. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's kind of cool. So it's a really nice format. And then at the end, they've got the entire comic, the entire America comic. Ooh. Huh. So for, so for any uh, process junkies as well. Yeah, seriously, I would think. That, that's kind of a great package. Huh. Yeah, I, I really, it's it's a nice little package. Well, that sounds, uh, that sounds fab. I gotta say, I, uh, I envy you for being able to see it. And I was wondering whether or not I was going to try and get my hands on a copy. And I, I most definitely will. I, I think you might. Yeah. I think you in particular, I, I've got to be honest. I don't know if you've heard that there's sort of the joke of the Wagner scripts mm. where it's like, you know, super terrors. You, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It, oh, the, the joke is because in a 2080 annual at some point in the 80s, they had a Wagner script. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the stage directions were basically like close up on dread, grim. <laughs> and that'd be it. Right. And so it became this this running joke. The Wagner scripts were like, you know, a, just stark. <laughs> you know, panel five, dread. <laughs> panel six, dread dialogue. And it's not like that at all. It's actually much more in depth than than uh than I expected, definitely. Oh, good, good. Um, and also, it. it's early drafts of the scripts, so mm. there's things in there that were changed before they made it into the comic. Ooh, interesting. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah that that cries out for for uh, process junkies everywhere to dig in for sure. Yeah, you're like, oh well, so I'm gonna get it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, I was thinking maybe we should talk about some of the comics that we have read. Uh, before we fall down the rabbit hole of awfulness, you know, yeah, if you want. Well, the rabbit hole of awfulness is the best way to describe this week, right? Yeah. Uh, I've been reading I've been reading stuff that is uh, thematically connected to the rabbit hole of awfulness. Mm, I bet. Uh, no, not in that sense at all. You remember, like, last what well, I said, oh, I've been reading Green Lantern Mosaic mm-hmm. by Jones, and, like, we don't talk about Gerard Jones anymore. Right. So I've been reading all of George Jones' Green Lantern. Oh, wow. And, um, and back issues of Justice League Europe, which, of course, are also not being reprinted because they were scripted by Gerard Jones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very much of a, of a period, right? We're ta- basically talking like 1990 DC, like 89 through like 92, mm-hmm. 93 maybe. Um, and they're all very... They they vary from like capable to like genuinely good comics. Mm-hmm. You know, jo- Jones was never less than professional. Mm-hmm. Period. Um, surprisingly, I found that his Just League Europe stuff is is feels much more lacking mm-hmm. than I remember. I remembered it being much stronger, and it's it's not. In many cases, it's really perfunctory. 
Hmm. And it, it, it it's one of those things that really shows how good Dematis was in Justice League America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both Dematis and then Jones are, you know, given the story by Giffen. Mm-hmm. And Giffen come up with the plot and has done the, the breakdowns already. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so they are literally scripting. That's it. Yeah, right. And Dematis does a lot of stuff with it in Justice League America. You know, he he creates running jokes. He creates character beats that then it becomes tennis. It then gets played back in Giffen's plots. Right. Yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Jones doesn't. Hmm. Jones doesn't really create that sort of dialogue at all. And in many cases, when it's a very plot heavy issue, does the bare minimum in terms of uh, lifting with the script. You know, you basically have characters deliver exposition. Uh, and because Europe was theoretically the, the not funny book of the two, right? You even really have the running gags either. Mm. You know? So, so Jones is really, really, in some cases, doing little more than having the characters say things like "Look up there," <laughs> you know. And, right. and so that that was that was uh, disappointing. Question mark. At least yeah. in terms of Jones' contribution, uh, his Green Lantern stuff. The first two years of that is just great. Is is really strong work. Is really strong character work. Is incredibly confident in the way that he structured it. Mm-hmm. The first six months, basically, feature Hal Jordan for all intents and purposes being like, "Fuck, I'm not Green Lantern anymore." Mm-hmm. And other characters, in particular, Guy Gardner, are like, "No, but you are. Mm-hmm. Like, what have I got to do? I'll fucking fight you. Like, I'll I'll introduce a supervillain. I'll do whatever I have to do to get you to admit that you are." But you have the first half year of a book with the lead character being like, no, 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 mm-hmm. fucking moved on. I've grown up. No, mm-hmm. I'm not doing this anymore. Which is remarkably counterintuitive, but also works really well. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and his his use of subplots, his use of long term plotting as well. There's stuff planted in those that first those first eight issues that plays out in Mosaic. You know, two years later. Wow. Um, and is actually legitimately planted there. Because mm. when I was reading Mosaic, I was like, that's a retcon and a half. And then I reread these original issues. I'm like, shit, it's not a retcon. Wow. Actually set it up. Mm. Shit, you know? Um, and it's it's very strong. It's, it's great stuff. All the way until it goes from... Because for the first two years, it was, in theory, Green Lantern starring Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, and John Stewart. Mm-hmm. And they trade off arcs. Al mm. arc for the first eight issues. Then you have a arc. Then you have a John arc. Then you have a, like a, I think it's like a guy issue, and then a Hal arc. And once it becomes the Hal Jordan book, it stops being anywhere near as interesting. Hmm. Uh, and it's not because the Hal stories were bad. Because in the first two years, they're really not. There's some really interesting stuff there. Right. But when it becomes Hal book, it also becomes Hal becomes Green Lantern of Earth again. Mm-hmm. That's where it stops being interesting. Mm, yeah. And the interesting stuff goes into Mosaic, goes into like John's short-lived Guy Gardner run. Mm-hmm. You know, and Green Lantern, for all intents and purposes, just becomes like our, our. It becomes very much like what Mark Wade was doing in Flash at the time. You know, where it's it's cute enough mm-hmm. uh, uh, reinvention of the Silver Age stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and on that level, it's fine. It's good. 
Mm-hmm. But compared with what the first two years were, there is a sense of like, you know, now you're just running an autopilot, man. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was. I, I, it's funny because the other thing about reading these because they're not digital, they're, they've not been reprinted, and I think we'll see them anytime soon. Um, so I've been reading back issues, like physical back issues, and it's funny because AI owned these books way back when. But also, I've forgotten how much of a complete package these comics felt like. Mm-hmm. Like the ads counted, but so did the letters pages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the letters pages actually felt like part of the value of the comic. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And you don't really have that now, even for the comics that have letters columns. Mm-hmm. You don't have that. Mm-hmm. You know? And it, it, that's actually especially true of Justice League Europe, I think, which mm-hmm. had a very active letter column. Mm-hmm. And a very... Uh, it, it seemed of a tone with the, the comic books element of it, for mm-hmm. a better way of putting it, the story. Um, but it's separate in its end as well. It felt like an actual value add. Right. You know, even now when you're reading it, it feels like a value add. Mm-hmm. But I also remember like when I was reading it at the time, seeing things like, and this wasn't so much the case in Just Like Europe, but definitely Just Like America, which was running at the same time. They'd be like, oh yeah, so-and-so is working this miniseries. And I'd be like, oh shit, I know shit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I see it behind the curtain. And that, that like that meant something to me at the time. Right. You know, like the 15-year-old me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny remembering that part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Because when you buy stuff digitally now or when you buy stuff in collection, that's not there, you know? And that's understandable. It's not the story. But when you read the back issues, you suddenly remember how much of that stuff was important. Oh, in fact, while while you were saying it, I sort of flashed on... You know, the the fact that you have returned to the Invisibles and been kind of like, eh, it meant a lot at the time. Or for that matter, um, I mean, you were never really on the train, but, you know, when you, Matt Turl and I uh, read the first two trades, I guess, of Preacher, you know, the what is the current first volume, we are all kind of, oh, but I have... I wonder how much of that is the fact that the letters columns in each were my faves. Like I loved reading the letters column. You know what I mean? Like it kind did, of did Garth write the letters columns? What's that? Did Garth write the letter columns? He did. He I, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I honestly couldn't remember. I was like, was that Sure Moore or was that Garth? Yeah. No. It was. It was him because he would. Um, he would always have a contest. He'd give away a page of original art. Um, I think if you could name like a movie quote or something like that, you know, um, something like that, or, or he would challenge you lots of little contest things, you know, perhaps unsurprisingly, I think that, I think some of the 2000 AD guys really had a strong sense of the importance of the letter column. Right. No, it was like, it was the same with Invisibles, right? Mm -hmm, Where mm -hmm. Morrison Waltz, like, right, responded to letters, but also sometimes using the letter column to write about, like, you know, everyone wank for the Invisibles. Yes. Or, or when he got sick. Right. You know? And it felt like, again, you were getting some inside info. You were part of a gang. Yep. Yep. Very much so. And so it it kind of led to, it maybe was a, like you said, a value added experience that when you revisit the stuff, you're kind of like, huh, it's just not quite as, hmm, you know, 
And it, 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 it's I, cause I, yes, I got that, but also I got the, like, I miss this. Yes. Oh, and I miss this too. And I know what you mean. It's funny, you know, uh, Al Ewing, again, 2000 AD like guy runs the, the immortal Hulk letters page. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, pretty good i mean it's it's yeah, honestly it's, 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 it's i, I like it quite a like yeah, yeah very very close the di i think the difference for me is one it's usually white type on a green background so my eyes are just hating me for for reading it um and also i think it's very sweet but it's also it, it feels like letters columns written by people who weren't always you know, it's very different. Back in the, there was something weird about that continuity behind letters columns of like, you read them, you expected to see, I don't know, it was just that weird thing. Like now they're so weirdly aberrational when you see them. And then the letters always kind of sound like, like, uh, like Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl had a really great letters page, but a lot of it really was, understandably, the same letter over and over again. Um, sure, yeah. And I think that's kind of true of the Immortal Hulk for the most part as well. Bless, bless their hearts. So, you no, know, but it's like you're right about the continuity of the letters page. I remember. And it was like that period of DC, like, you know, 80, whatever, 88 through like 93, right? right? Like that five-year span mm -hmm. um, where I was buying a lot of fucking DC books. Mm -hmm. um, the letters column was there. And when it wasn't, it felt like a thing. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the rare months where there wasn't letters column, you felt the absence of it. And so did other people to the point where – People would write in and complain, and then they'd print those letters. Yes, absolutely. They'd be like, hey, really sorry that, you know. Yeah, no, that happened a lot back in the 70s Marvel stuff, which, of course, was my was my bread and butter. Sure thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just that, that sort of stuff, it really is, like you said, it's additive. I kind of wish they could figure out ways to do that so it's not as opposed to like hey we've got a Marilyn manson video for you you know <laughs> well but i mean like how do you do that now because one of the things that i enjoyed about like you know again we're just saying oh the letters columns fucking yes years ago yeah. right right but one of the things i enjoyed about them was it wasn't just praise mm -hmm. you yeah. know you get the letters column the people putting the letters columns together I think trying to entertain or, or you know amuse themselves, and they would print things that were challenging or yes. were thought provoking, or and you know went beyond. So actually, started to create a dialogue. Yes, you know, right. But nowadays, you nowadays you don't get that. Not only because you know letters columns aren't really the same sort of thing, but also because like social media exists. Right. People who want to start this dialogue don't have to fucking write to a comic. Well, I, I mean, I agree, I agree, but I definitely think that um, what I think is is that it can take a little more work and be a little more free structured. I I remember Bendis's work, you know, when I was following him really closely, uh, the Powers Letters column was also a big hoot, and he would he would take emails, he would take little tweets, and you know, mm -hmm. he would turn around and and twist that stuff on you. Um, you know, I feel like Walking Dead worked really hard to have a challenging letters uh, page. Like they would have people be like, 
oh, you totally had a chance to kill blah, blah, and you didn't, and that just proves that yada, yada, you know? Uh, like, or, you know, you've been on a downward arc since issue 75, and which was great. Also, uh, now that I think about it, John Lehman uh, in Outer Darkness has a letters page, which is generally fun. I mean, I don't think it's quite as... as as quote unquote deep as those, but it's clear that he puts stuff in there and they make it a point to get a couple of people responding. I feel that's definitely the walking dead model because you had the book editor and then you had Kirkman reply. And so that kind of helped pad out the community, even though it was actually to me the opposite. It was weirdly insular because it was like the editor and Kirkman making a lot of in jokes or yeah, yeah. you know in in inside talk and i was like eh but um i you know but i think that it's there i just think that it's one of those things that just takes uh it takes a lot of time and people don't want uh, I, or can't really take the time to do that maybe in a way um that they used to like you used to be able to do something like that i think in marvel and dc when there was a certain amount of volume where the staffing was completely different, but it's, it's impossible to imagine that now. And it's also, I think that the people on image books who do it kind of do it as a labor of love. I was going to mention Brubaker who tends to run his stuff. Um, you know, it's very rare that he runs anything negative, but he usually does make a point of he's aware the letters columns are value added. You know, he runs the extra essay in the back yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of his stuff as well. I feel that was, I mean, what started the comic with an essay in the back rather than the letters column as value added? Oh, uh, see. Was, was that, was oh, that just, like, was that fail? Was that Casanova? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was. I, I, I well, I, I honestly don't remember. I'm, I'm not saying that to be like, ah, that's a funny, you know, right s- step. Because like, I remember, I remember very clearly being in Criminal, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it being because like Criminal wasn't just an essay; it was like an essay with a painting by Phillips. Yeah, you know, and it was like it was an event. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just you know here is Texas back matter. Mm-hmm. It was the essay as event, and I feel like that might have been Criminal that started that. Uh, well, the essay is event, but I mean, definitely, like you said, with Fell and Casanova, uh, and Phonogram, there was that whole super big emphasis on the back matter in, in part because they were running on, uh, reduced page counts, I think was the idea. But definitely not Phonogram. Phonogram, uh, was full-fledged. Was full-fledged, but also Phonogram didn't do essays or if it did it did like letter column length essays you know i when i'm talking about essay as event like i remember the criminal essays being length yes like be, yeah. more than just like a page or two right right you right, know, right. I, that, definitely phonograms were like at most two pages mm-hmm. and even then i think it was mostly here and fucking around i might be misremembering i genuinely might be misremembering, you know, you know I, it, I don't i don't remember it being right. the same model of the thing we're talking about otherwise right 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 well, no, and uh, Criminal did take it that extra level because, like you said, it's painted art. Um, Brubaker, at a certain point, stopped uh, doing it relatively early on, and I think it's been done by Kim Morgan, I want to say, ever since. I, all I remember is at one point it was Devin Farsey, and it was like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, 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 that was a couple of issues. But that was that was cut pretty, ish, pretty, pretty, 
it's interesting. Brubaker doesn't necessarily make a big deal out of it, but you know, um, Elizabeth Brightweiser was doing the coloring on Criminal and the various and books the, for Phyllis. And then she wasn't. But at the same time, yeah. again, how much of that was because of Elizabeth Brightweiser's politics and how much of that was because, you know, Sean and Jacob Phillips wanted to do colors is unclear. Right. And honestly, it's probably to everyone's benefits that they leave it unclear. No, no, no. <laughs> I can already see this theme emerging on the horizon. Well, no. Yeah, but it's it's true, right? Like this has been – okay, what have you been reading? Before we go into that, what have you been reading this oh, week? Okay, so what I've been reading this week uh, slash – yeah, I guess it does actually all fall within a week. Um, I read The Contradictions by uh, Sophie Yanow, or Yanow, Y-A-N-O-W. She was doing it, uh, publishing it online, and um, I believe a print edition is coming out, perhaps unsurprisingly, considering it is it is a novel. It's a graphic novel about her traveling around Europe with an anarchist. Um, it, it, she has made it free to read, uh, in full through the end of the month. I mean, you know, kept the whole thing up even though it's completed. So that was that was a great little read. Uh, Yano's art art is great. It sort of uh, reminded me of Jus Suarte, you know, that huh, kind of. Okay. Um, but it, if you can imagine in black and white, I'm not so sure I necessarily clicked with the. Um, with all of it, because Yano is telling the story to definitely capture the contradictions in herself and uh, her anarchist friend, they begin, you know, traveling across Europe. Uh, and it, there's a the attempts to sort of stay quote unquote pure while also challenging um capitalist systems uh naturally i think lends itself to how do i put it i feel like i feel like what yano did was she stripped out all, all the the mess and young adult angst like it's sort of a detached reportage almost mm -hmm. um with just a gorgeous style but it's also I mean, you know me. I'm kind of like, yeah, let's have some uh, let's ha let's have some conclusions. Even if you think, even if you're gonna, you know, feel like an asshole for making them, even if it's five or six years, you know. But not everyone wants to do that. Some people just want to capture everything honestly, and that in in as the title of the book goes, the contradictions. So, um, I read thanks to Shonen Jump. The first two volumes of Blue Flag, which is to say about 12 individual chapters, since that's how they're presented on the Shonen Jump uh, website. I, for whatever reason, thought they'd been lurking there and I was behind forever, but apparently they mostly got added relatively recently. Blue Flag is by Kaito, or maybe Kaito, K-A-I-T-O, who did Cross Manage. I don't know if people remember me blabbing about that, but that was one of the last uh, things I read and loved in Shonen Jump Alpha, which was a uh, high school romance comic about um, a washed-up basketball star who takes on managing a hapless girls lacrosse team 
Uh, Blue Flag is just a step up in every level. It's a love triangle quadrangle for the 21st century, which I, which I fear if I go into will give too much away of since I feel like one of the revelations is saved for the end of volume one. But let's just say that for people like me who want to see well done romance comics, it's a mm-hmm. very well done romance comic. And one <laughs> of the things I love about Kaito is their comic chops are really formidable their timing and their pacing so all the um uh weird uh all all the awkward situations are i think genuinely funny uh and more than just awkward um speaking of awkward i should mention i read inner species reviewers uh volume one (laughs) that's a great name if nothing else yeah, it definitely is. Uh, there were three volumes available for sale on Bookwalker. Uh, it is a, how do I put it? It's not genuinely smut, it, but it is um, a sex-based comic that could not be more nerdy if it tried, which is to say it is set in a fantasy world where the three main characters visit brothels made up of various fantasy creatures so that they can post reviews on quote unquote the internet about what it was like to have sex with centaurs and medusae and cow women and things so it's really a uh for people who remember playing D D with their semi-rowdy, semi-uncontrollably horny 15-year-old friends where the adventure could never start because people would not get out of the goddamn bar because they were too busy trying to, you know, get into the brothel that they could not clear their charisma checks on. It's kind of fun. I felt sort of weirdly in between being incredibly embarrassed that I was reading it but also kind of um, I I appreciated its charms. It's kind of a one note thing, which is shocking to me that there's three volumes. Like I enjoyed volume one, but I was like, it was so clear that they weren't going to do anything else. And it, it, it <laughs> and it's sort of interesting. Like, that's not necessarily bad. However no. Maybe it is. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that there's a weird, um, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but between this and interview with monster girls and a couple of other uh, titles, like Japan's got a whole weird monster girl fetish that spends a lot of time. You know, one of the things that's really fun about uh, a lot of manga is the people put in the research. So every once in a while, while they're talking about stuff with, I don't know, because like the cowgirls, for example, I'm like, you know, who have ridiculously large breasts. I'm like, okay, this is just dumb. And admittedly it is, but as they point out, it's like, well, if you've got minotaurs that are half bull, half man, you're clearly going to have cow women. And I was like, hold on. You know, like it was just that kind of thing of like, wow, somebody is nerdier uh, and yet um smarter than i am which i guess really says 
nothing ultimately. I finished off <laughs> The Joker, 80 Years of the Clown, Prince of Crime, the deluxe edition, which uh, I think I told you I started reading um, shamefacedly, have c- continued to read it through shamefacedly. One of the things that was a source of shame for me was how uh, I would say there was maybe three stories in there that I had never read before. So rereading this stuff was like, yeesh the other thing is is they've got a lot of like here's what the joker means to me by people like mark hamill and scott snyder and and of do course, all of them say a job um no which would be great <laughs> if they did because they're supposed mark to Hamill's be like here's what the joker means to me i got a voiceover gig for fucking years well okay but see one of the things because that, that is a chunk of it don't get me wrong and a chunk of it is kind of the you know here's all the great people that i've worked with like it's very much mark hamill's voyage through it but there is a lot yeah. to be said for the fact that he you know as a big comic nerd he actually shows up in a reading a voice in the mr freeze episode like mm-hmm. in the batch of the first six before the joker rolls along and in the course of talking to the producers about it he came in and was like hey so you know kind of like are you going to do this are you going to include this character are you going to so basically he comic nerded them so much and they were so impressed that they were kind of like hey do you want to come back in and read for the joker so that part's fun the the part that he actually talked about like you know how he would research the role in that he would read the comics that the scripts were based on if they were based on specific episodes and and it was it was it was good it's definitely better than jeff loeb because jeff loeb is in pure jeff loeb method you know, which is to say lots of one line sentences. The Joker. Next line. Who is he? Question mark. A clown. Oh, you know, oh, that Lord. kind of thing. You know, really? Oh, of course. It's Jeff Loeb. You know, so whereas Scott Snyder kind of goes like the opposite sort of. on And, and so at some point we could, if you want, talk about Dark Knight's uh, death metal. Issue one, which I read this week, um, because that is a weird fucking book. Okay, so let's for a second. I read this uh, two weeks ago now, mm-hmm. and I told you off off recording. Yeah, like it made me feel stupid. <laughs> like I honestly feel like that book is impossible for me to read. And here's the thing I want to ask you about. I've had multiple people this week say to me, "I have no idea what you're fucking talking about. This is amazing." Really? And I don't think it's bad. I just don't... I think it's impossible for me to read. Like, I legitimately have trouble making it through that comic. There's something about that comic that I just feel is is anti-reading for me. Hmm. Like, I struggle to comprehend it. I really genuinely do. Hmm. So, what was your experience? Well, weirdly enough, when you and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that was not the message that you necessarily gave me, per se. Oh, no, but I was was focusing very much on the end. And uh, I thought it it would drive people insane. Right. right. And also, again, hasn't driven anyone insane, so I guess I was wrong about that as well. Well, because I think that there's a... Yeah, that that is a shocker, actually. I fully expected people... And it sort of seems... I think maybe because it seems like such a faint 
a narrative feint that even when you told me and I was like, what? You're like, yeah, I don't think he's going to go with that. I'm like, yeah, he couldn't. Right. You know, um, I, I, so there's a couple of things. There's weird. There's a weird text piece. There's several weird text pieces, but there's one that uh, was the dead beats or the dead bats or whatever. So like a lot of Snyder (laughs) stuff, it's, yeah, it's re it's, there's like, Oh, there's this huge ambition for it. The, the, I think the thing that is problematic for me is, is that, uh, Oh, right. And I know the other thing you mean with the ending, which yes, the audacity of that was kind of, um, I don't know. Maybe they just downplayed it or maybe because that was the penultimate page as opposed to the last page, which is, you know, uh, Sergeant Rock at the end. Yeah, of just, yeah Sergeant Rock stuff is just, again, it feels so, I don't, like, it felt like someone was shouting at me. I yes. That's that kind of what the entire comic felt like. Yeah. The entire comic felt like someone was shouting at me. Right. Well, in that sense, they really did do the the heavy metal kind of thing. Yeah, no, you, no, right? no, exactly. Yeah. No, that's I, it. Yeah, <laughs> not heavy metal enough, Jeff. I, all I know is I struggled through that fucking comic. Well, your middle name is Jamiroquois, so I mean, it makes <laughs> well, sense. Exactly. Yeah, so. Of course. Well, they put it like that. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Uh, no, I, I, um, I, uh, so for so I tell you honestly, which the thing that I think is interesting uh, about dark metal is, you know, kind of the a he went there. B, uh, the I think what's odd is is that Snyder continues to get more and more playful in this weird like he's almost taking the piss but yes for himself on for himself on himself i don't know you know how to properly well, no, yeah, conjugate it's, it's that this weird thing that's like it, it's not parody but it's not self-parody right but it does feel like he's like you know what uh, what the fuck am i getting away with okay let's see if i can get away with this yeah and i'm not sure how i feel like like one of the opening captions is you know uh hell formerly themiscria the DCU and then in parentheses it's like yes the DCU and I was yeah. just kind of like that's odd like you know there's a whole other thing about one of the various iterations of Batman is is the robotic T-Rex Batman that you know at one point Wonder Woman you know he's like I am Batman she's like can you throw a batarang with those little tiny arms and he's like ah she's like can you get in the batmobile and he's like I'm working on it you know and I mean that's funny but it's also like but I mean because that's the thing the other half of it is kind of I think this is this is sort of what I find weirdly interesting slash depressing about it is is that it's almost as if um when you start off the snyder capullo collaboration on batman going all the way back to batman one of the new 52 the slider set really high in terms of 
Snyder's in control, Capullo's kind of servicing the vision. And then that sort of, that slider moves over their collaborative process together, which is fine in many ways, and it allows Snyder to get wilder, but but it's kind of to the point where it's, it reads like an uh, like an image comic unsurprisingly which is to say that it's 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 totally inconsistent um and uh the other thing that i found weird about it apart from trying to figure out who's what and why and even the awesome moments you know there's literally a point where someone gets killed with an invisible chainsaw which is so um stupid and funny but really stupid and it's as someone who appreciated exactly that weird combo in uh blackest night i figured like okay i think i'll be into that but for whatever reason i'm a little you're not well i think in a way because i think oddly jeff john's uh darkest night which literally is sort of talking is it's not talking about death in the dcu in any real significant honest way but it's sort of like um dealing with a problem that the dcu was having in terms of the the revolving door of the dead was getting really ridiculous there and Mm -hmm. and so the meta is there in a very nice sort of nuts and bolts sort of way it's the parts where things get goofy are actually drawn really stupidly straight. Um, God, was that Ethan Van Skyver? That uh, in in Blackest Night, it was um, Ivan Reese. Oh, Ivan Reese! Thank goodness. Okay, Whew, what a relief. Um, yeah, Reese is somebody who you know kind kind of draws things straight. Capullo's a little more of a, um, you know he's a, he likes being a, a a bit of a loose cannon. And Snyder has moved that way with him, which I guess is fine. But but again, it's like there's one point where they're talking about the anti-crisis and the direct crisis and how the dark multiverse is powered by the energy of everyone remembering all the crises that are still there happening, which is what allows perpetu- the why the Batman who laughs was able to allow Perpetua the energy to enslave the DCU. I mean... On the one hand, it sounds, how do I put it? It sounds like gibberish unless you're willing to take it in a metatextual allegorical way. Yes, yes, yes. Right? And so at that level, there are some, I guess what happened is to me, Snyder pushes the allegory to the part where it breaks down for me, which is, if you are trying to say that the DCU has been sullied by being unable to let go of the various crisis crossover crossover events, and that the DCU is basically polluted with literally too much Batman, I mean that tracks for me. Except you are not being weird; you're being weirdly disingenuous. By saying something like, oh, because the source of all stories is a loss of hope. But Batman's story was never about that. I'm like, motherfucker, it's about sales. You know what I mean? And so that's the thing that sort of, I'm at that point where Lord knows in 2020, 
Um, you know, we're finally getting to the point where uh, the French were back in like 68. I feel like I should throw a beret on in my back, best Jean-Luc uh, Godard voice, kind of be, it is about the capitalism, you know? But I mean, it's about the motherfucking money. If any of this other shit sold or sold the way they wanted to, they wouldn't put fucking Batman in everything and they wouldn't make these people have crises over and over and over and over and fucking over again. And so there's that weird part where, for me, Dark Metal, as much as I'm like, and again, because it's so tonally inconsistent but actually ambitious, uh, part of me is like, okay, but. You know, which is weird because I know that Snyder is very much working in some ways, you know, he's he's very attentive to what Morrison has done and likes taking that and building on that. But for whatever reason, at least up to a certain point, and that certain point very well could be season one of the Green Lantern. um, I just was able to Morrison somehow didn't make it was able to make those things work in ways that made sense. In that amazing issue of Action Comics in which Superman has been weaponized by corporations into a capitalist-destroying machine, like, that's a pretty amazing issue and is, in a sense, is way more forward with what's actually going on and I think, therefore, makes a more honest case, even in a weird apologia way, for Morrison being like, and that's why I'm doing Superman. Because if you don't have the right people in charge, Superman becomes the enemy. You know, which is like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. I can see that. And what's... Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's an argument. Yeah, right? that's, that's that, an argument. That's something, yeah, that's something you can, for want of a better way of putting it, respect. Right. Right. Right, yeah. and, and but it but it also does sort of talk about the the elephant in the room, whereas I think Snyder's thing because it keeps, particularly in this latest iteration, keeps spinning around this circle. Uh, for me, it's very much the sort I'm at the ugh, I, so I don't know. So that's basically it uh for for my take on it it didn't it didn't make things difficult for me but one of the things that was great is i didn't have to i didn't because you explained it to me i didn't read all of justice league and so being able to read dark metal was kind of um hmm. well i don't know know, i've got to say like part of the reason i think i felt quite as as at sea with death metal as i did Mm -hmm. is I did read all of just like yeah. I read all the fucking shit. I yes. read Metal, Justice League No Justice, right. Justice League, Justice League Odyssey, Justice League Dark, uh Year of the Villain, Hell Risen, yeah. Batman Superman. I read all of this stuff beforehand. Right. And I understand that it plays in and I understand that it it will to some degree connect. Mm-hmm. But there is such a honestly surprisingly tight through line. Mm-hmm. That that's utterly right ignored right. in death metal. Well, that I think I think I also had whiplash of being like, but what the fuck? Right. But do you think you would feel that way for? Because maybe maybe what Snyder's trying to do. We talk about Morrison, but maybe this is the. You know, we we talked about how much, um, his run on Justice League 
paralleled what Hickman was doing with Avengers, right? And then if you think about it, you jump from Avengers to Secret Wars, uh, and that's a that's a pretty big jump, right? Like all the stuff that's happening in Secret Wars, you're kind of like, you know, it's a. I mean, yeah, yes and no, and I think the difference is there is a there is a, a um you see the switch right, right. Mm-hmm. that's part of the story i right. think the thing that 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 honestly left me again not because i don't want to make it go oh, i don't understand how they got there because they actually fucking explain in death Note how they got there mm-hmm. but there's such a disconnect between those two things and also to be honest i think part of it is also i don't like the version of the characters that's in death metal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like i find it kind of boring i don't find them interesting right um but I think those two things combined just makes me go, okay, it's, it, uh, I don't get it. Right. No, I, I, well, which is interesting that you are saying that you don't get it as opposed, as opposed to it leaves you cold. Like it's not the same thing or is no, it, it, does, but... it, does, it does leave me cold, but it's more than just it leaving me cold. Mm-hmm. There are comments that leave me cold that I understand. Mm-hmm. And there's something about death metal that I literally don't understand. Hmm. That's interesting. That's really interesting, especially because you read all all of it. You know, I yeah. mean, the the again, it's not on the plot level, right? I understand the plot of death metal. Sure, right. Such I understand how we got from yeah, well, yeah. But I understand how we got from where we were to where we are. Mm-hmm. that's not the problem mm-hmm. the, i don't understand is uh i don't get why this is exciting i don't get why this is appealing i don't get why this feels uh honestly anything other than like throwing lots of shit against a wall mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and maybe i will maybe down the line i'm going to be like oh it's all come together for me but in this first issue right I, like I said, I like I felt like it was a comic that was actually fighting me as I was reading it. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't fucking get it. Right. Again, it's not a plot. It's a, I don't – I just literally do not understand why what I'm reading is is a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, that's the way in which I don't get it. Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I will be curious to see, because one thing that you have said also is that Snyder um, works so much better for you in a one than yeah. individually. Well, that's just it. That's so, just it. I'm, not, I'm not willing to, to ignore this. Right. I'm not willing to, to write it off mm-hmm. because Snyder does work so much better for me. Mm-hmm. Like when it, when it's all completed, I can read it in a one. Would you... I, be willing to not read each issue as it comes out and then wait and then read it all in a go? Or is that... Honestly, that's probably just not going to happen. It's just like a, you know, I'm going to read this for work. Sure. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's just not really an option. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, but I suspect I'd like it more at that point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like one of, uh, back when metal came out, I remember thinking that Metal Issue 1 was, like, trying too hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, lots of noise and fury, but not actually saying anything. Mm-hmm. And Death Metal did just feel like that, but more so. Yeah, 
Yeah, oh, definitely. You know? Mm-hmm. And it was like, but why is this, you know, for a better way of putting it, why is this okay? Right. <laughs> Never mind, like, why are people so excited about this? I don't get it. Well, so here's the other thing. I mean, you spend more time online. Are people excited about it? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. I'll take your word for it. I kind of felt like metal was something that people were excited by and kind of just that excitement kind of waned as it went on. But maybe it was maybe that was just me, um, you know, but uh, I, um, interesting. Okay. Well, I, I'm I guess God bless them because that is the other thing is this part of me is kind of like uh, there's. I mean, maybe that's the problem. Once you set something and it's quote unquote the DCU and, you know, essentially all of the Justice League are, uh, you know, forced into servitude underneath the Batman who laughs. Like, I'm like, that's how do I put it? Like, that's never going to stick. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like it's it's just. It's just chapter two of a Gardner Fox Justice League story, you know, without the chapter one part for me of how they got there. And it's going to be blown up to seven issues. So maybe that there's part of it. And I think there is a little bit there. Like, I remember Snyder saying something like, uh, you know, metal, metal was a Batman story, but but dark metal is a Wonder Woman story. Yeah. Yeah. And I and after this first issue, I was like, oh, boy, that's I don't know where we're going to go with that, because that's that's not promising. You know what I mean? Uh, unless well, especially it, based on the first issue. Right. Yeah, totally. It's like it's like, how is this a Wonder Woman story? Right. Like, right. Because she's there and talking more. Yes. That doesn't make it a Wonder Woman story. No, exactly. That's where I had that moment of like. You can't just say that it's a so-and-so story based on who gets to do the cool shit. Like, you know better than that, right? Which, you know, again, are are weak in comics. Before I shift gears again, let me just uh, say, I also read the last volume of Blank Canvas, my uh, so-called artist's journey, which is volume five and uh, is the conclusion. And I felt like crying almost half dozen times while reading it. It was it was great. It was really, really good. Um, that that whole series, that's something that I would love for you to read, Graham, you know, because you've said that out of the all the various manga that you've read, like Tokyo Tarabara Girls was one of the few that sort of mm-hmm. cleared the threshold. For yeah, you. yeah. One, yeah. One of the ones that really sort of like worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. And also, as somebody who went to art school, even though in a completely different country, um, I think it would be really interesting to see what you, if you are similarly affected by her stories. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, no, I, I, when you've talked about it in the past, it's been something that would have been like, oh, yeah, I really should check that out. So, mm-hmm. so now, also, neither, honestly, knowing it's finished, right. Make- Likely to check it out. Yeah, no, it makes sense. You're like, I'm not Jeff. I'm not dropping into 42 volumes of craziness. It's well, like, no, yeah. not, not just that. Like, there's something about uh, for you to say it's over, and I still liked it. Yes, that's true. Like, you know, it ran five volumes, but honestly, the last volume is kind of shit. Right. 
Right, right, right. Yeah, no, no, no. This worked perfectly. And it does work for a lot of reasons. So much manga, like other, like even more so than comics in some way. They're like, they tell their story. And if they do it right, they're so wildly successful that the editors are like, keep going, keep going. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah. How much can you vamp? And it's like, oh, shit, that's that's not going to work out. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. No, well, good. I hope you do check it out. And that's my comics report. Thanks, Comics Report. Should we get into the shit then? <sighs> Jeff Lester. Graham Chimiroquoi Alfalfa McMillan. Yes, Alfalfa. My other, my other middle your, name. Your other middle name, yeah. That's right. Um, okay, so this week has been... Um, how, would you, how would you describe it? This week has been a shitstorm. This week yeah. has been a shit show. Yeah. This week has been uh, a shit slog. <laughs> but also, like this week has been me too for the comics industry. Yes, four four different people uh, in the comics industry were outed as being predators. That's right. One, interestingly enough, was then unouted. Oh, is that what happened? Yes, the person who, I mean, should I say the name or not? Because they did put it out there, but then they actually then deleted their tweet. Okay, because one of the things that I thought was interesting was how it got out there. And then within 24 to 48 hours, nobody was talking about it to the point where I was actually talking to someone who was more or less complaining that it had been erased Uh um, because of because it was an inconvenient truth or something, and I was uh, like, it's, "So, to my understanding, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 two quote unquote big names uh, were came out first, yeah. and then uh, that started a conversation about known predators in comics, right? And someone then came forward and tweeted, you know, while we're talking predators in comics." There's this person mm-hmm. who who is a predator at conventions, right? And that tweet was gone within a day. Mm. And the person actually tweeted, like they deleted the tweet, and the person then tweeted basically, like I deleted the tweet because, uh, God, I'd have to try and find it now. Mm. Um, their their argument was essentially, I felt like it was a distraction right now. Hmm. He didn't say that it wasn't true. Wow. Okay. He didn't say that. Uh, that they were mistaken. Mm-hmm. They basically just said, like, now is not the time to have this conversation. Right. Which, like, I simultaneously understand and think is really problematic. Right? Yes, absolutely. Because you basically outed someone and then were like, now, never mind. Right. And I feel there's a, like, there's a lot to unpack there. But yeah, for sure. You know, a lot. Um, so it's it's difficult to talk about that one, you know. Mm-hmm. But but even the three that that were were, you know, uh, for a better way of putting it, like announced and confirmed mm-hmm. um, this week, like was 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 shocking. Like all three in the week, do you know yeah. what I mean? And I feel like it start. Yep. I feel like it did start a new uh, a new intensity of conversation around this, which is good and overdue. Um, but also like something else that happened. So, okay. To put this in some form of context on Monday, well, actually Sunday night, mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to name the, 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 the people who did the accusing. 
Right. Uh, I don't. I don't think that adds anything to the conversation, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And I think it risks them being attacked. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly the attitude I took when I did, I wrote the the one of the stories up for THR. Mm-hmm. Um, on Sunday night, someone outed Cameron Stewart as grooming uh, a number of women. Right. Uh, they came forward and then other people came forward to say I had the same experience. Right. Uh, a number of underage women, I should say. Yes. Uh, for- aren't familiar with the definition of grooming it's specifically underage uh partners um and and he has apparently been doing this for you know years decade plus yeah um and and that was was appalling and almost more appalling is the fact that he doesn't seem to have responded to it at all yeah um but that was very quickly followed by um, by Warren Ellis being outed. Yes, uh, and the Ellis thing was—I uh, was going to say more difficult, and that's not right. The Stuart thing was immediately obvious to everyone that it was appalling, right? Mm-hmm. Right, because it was underage girls. Mm-hmm. And and they were coming forward and saying like you know I I like this is very fucked up, and the Ellis thing seemed to many more complicated mm-hmm. because it was women over the age of consent and especially the first two that came forward they more or less had had a you know I don't think Ellis should be cancelled quote unquote mm-hmm. because he's done a lot of, of good for comics however that doesn't change the fact that he's a predator and he has. A pattern of this behavior mm-hmm. uh, of, of essentially offering to mentor people and 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 f- despite his his fucking appalling quote unquote apology, um, coerce them into romantic and sexual relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but the Alice thing, I don't know if you saw that. There's there's a, a private group of of who have been through this, and there's more than fifty members now. That's right. Yeah. You know, like Ellis has been doing this again for decades to, you know, a shockingly high number of people. Right. And and it's like I said before, like, you know, I don't know what more there is to say other than like it's fucking appalling. But but there's a lot more to say. Right. Yes. Because one of the things that shocked me about the Cameron Stewart thing was the number of people who were like, this was an open secret in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And. There was a lot of discussion this week about whisper networks, and whisper networks aren't successful. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, I really felt that because part of me was like, "How the fuck could this be an open secret in Toronto and other people not know?" Right. You know, like that feels like a a, a systematic failure to to address this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that it's a like apparently a running joke in Toronto. Wow. That Cam sure did this. Oof. And like, and I like. I I don't know Cameron, but like I I have run in similar internet circles to him for like all the way back to fucking the Barbalus message board right. in like ninety nine, right? Mm-hmm. But like we have mutual friends, mm-hmm. and I had no fucking idea, right? Like no fucking idea, and it's clearly not enough of an open secret that like Brendan said that he didn't know, and he's been working with Cameron Stewart for like six years, yeah, right. So the idea that it can simultaneously be a running joke and old, you know. People in the know know, and yet other people had no fucking idea. Mm-hmm. Feels 
like a really drastic failure of people to to actually address something that there's no way you could know this and not consider this to be like a a serious problem mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. that feels like a a really dramatic failure and a, a dramatic uh i was going to say way of enabling but that's not the right way of putting it but like clearly by people not stepping forward and making this public right like and I'm, i don't mean the women themselves even yeah the other no. people who knew and mm-hmm. did nothing to step mm-hmm. in like they were enabling him well and this is one of the things that i think is fascinating about the Cameron Stewart to Warren Ellis progression is how much so many of the problem things that the things that are problematic with the Stewart story are there in the Warren Ellis story in a much larger fashion. Yes, exactly. Like one of the things the Warren Ellis way thing in a really strange way was much more troubling ultimately. Well, of course, because I feel like so many people pushed back against the Warren Ellis thing. That's not what I found troubling. Oh, okay. I'm interested to see what you found troubling, but I feel like a lot of people are trying to make excuses for Ornelas. Oh, no, no. I, uh, hmm. That's, <laughs> so let, let's roll this back. So one of the things that I, uh, it, 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 to, for the people who are listening to us who don't necessarily have all the rest of the context or have been reading up on this to connect the dots uh, the Warren Ellis Forum is something that Graham and I have mentioned here occasionally. And if you know comics news, it's, you know, the proverbial kind of a big deal. At the end of the 90s, Ellis, uh, pretty much at the height of his um, uh, success and powers, as Graham and I literally, in that weird way, as if we were deliberately doing this and we were not... Ellis did take the concept of the letters page to the next level, which is to say he founded a Delphi forum that was all about him. He was the main dude on it. He suggested threads. He listened to things and he he built a huge comics community on there. And that community. And also a cult of personality. Oh, absolutely. Which Which I really like. I want to emphasize in light of what he would later say in his apology. Oh, we'll get there. I mean, yeah. I, I we haven't even gotten to the part where I start I know, centering I know, I know, myself yeah. in the narrative, Graham. My go, goodness. Go. But uh, you're like, good, go, go, do it, do it, take it, take it far away, far away from here, Jeff. Uh, is is it, it was a cult of personality. I mean, it's called the Warren Ellis Forum. Everyone was there to, you know, hang out with this guy who was a big celeb comic writer, their famous writer, their favorite writer. And he was actually talking back to them. He was posting with them, trading jokes, building things up. So the cool kid circle from the Warren Ellis Forum as a, uh, somebody posted, I don't even remember where they posted, but a few months back was kind of uh, the Warren Ellis Forum, the birth of everything that is cool in comics today. Kieran Gillen was there. Matt Fraction was there. Kelly Sue DeConnick was there. Chip Zdarsky was there. But those people weren't just... Brian Wood? (laughs) Yeah, Brian Wood. Brian Wood was there. There Larry Young was there. There there was stages. Ed Brubaker apparently was there. News to me. There there was... Sort of everyone was there, and they were there 
to try and hustle and make it. And very quickly, a cool kid circle popped up that was really cool kid circle. -y. You know, it was there was there were inner circles among inner circles among inner circles. And at the core of it, like a bullseye, was Ellis. He had a bunch of uh, moderators called his filthy assistants, taken from the Transmet uh, comic that he himself wrote, which because Spider Jerusalem had a couple of female assistants who uh, helped him save his ass. And the filthy assistants were the moderators who you know, did his will, did his bidding again for a man who goes on to pen an apology that is that a, a it's like, was shit, was shit yes, top yes. to bottom. Let's just say it. Anyone who is going to write an apology in 2020 and model half of it after Louis C.K.'s equally shitty apology is not is is I mean, it is either stupid or so genuinely openly contemptuous. Um, and I mean, maybe there's like someone acting from a place of such shamefaced shock. But let's face it, the fact that Ellis opened it up by saying, as Louis C.K. did, this horrific thing of like, oh, it's so funny. I never considered myself as having any sort of power. I thought we were all peers, said the man who called himself Stalin on his own fucking message board, right? Like every level of that, when it's not filled with empty nothingness written by some PR flack, the part that sounds like it came from Ellis is, to put it mildly, horrifically stuffed full of shit and in a yes. way that is doubly appalling coming from someone who many people have said uh and i think quite justifiably that warren ellis's greatest literary creation was warren ellis you know his hard drinking tough talking I'm smoking early night of the dawn. You got to stare into the failures of what a man has done. And it's what I've done, but you got to do what you got to do. But I'm a human fucked up flesh sack failure of a human being. Hey, it's dirty uncle Warren. Show me your photos. You filthy perverts. Like every stage of it was created and cultivated as a personality and an image and the idea of someone like that tuning out something so stripped of personal insight, but also any level of personal, anything that suggested personal culpability. Like there was a moment of craft on this, not every, not in a, this has been crafted to allow me the maximum amount of legal get out of jail freeness for me and the people who I who have employed me. And that's it. And that's all that it is for a man who made it sound like he literally he couldn't keep himself from 
you know, writing a DC superhero comic without having to slide in some mention to, you know, bourbon, cigarettes, 4 a.m., you know, fucking Palm Pilot keyboards, advanced future tech horseshit. It's, it's that part, the apology itself made me so angry and absolutely upset. The thing that I think sucks is of there have been so few, and this is, and this is what I think is important is again, Ellis is at the circle of it. The people who stepped forward, who said that they had been uh, essentially, you know, the term that Meredith Yiannopoulos uses that Katie West had used as well, essentially blue bearded, you know, mm -hmm. made into a wife. Uh, and then the instant she looked in whatever that designated closet was that she was told not to look into was dropped and dismissed harshly. And the fact that there are 50 women that are reporting that Katie West, Meredith, these are people whose names I only know because Ellis would, uh, I wasn't even on the WEF. I went on there and generally, I'll be honest, I wish I could say it was Mr. Like, oh, I had enough of that high school networking back when I was in high school. It was just like, I hate the bulletin board format. It sucks. So, but Seeing Ellis logging into WarrenEllis.com or I am Warren Ellis or whatever it was when it was his photo dump and his and his link blog and seeing those people pop up for a good long time, linked and shared and promoted and seeing those people say like this happened to me and it was fucked up. To me, I think it is entirely justifiable to be, when you're that shocked, is, again, to kind of ask who knew what and when, right? Because I mm -hmm. think that is something that is uh, important. I, for myself, feel that there is a... When something like this happens and... Again, it's so for people like me who, again, very, very far away, not a member of the WEF. I, I have met Warren Ellis. I literally ate Thai food across from him in a way that may or may not be pertinent to this story later. Um, and well, even well, now I'm curious, but okay, I'll, I may get there. Um, but like, even I knew because of the infamous, I guess this is how it all came out in the course of talking to someone else at comics experience, they were like, yeah, fucking Ellis, you know, there was the thing where his, his, some of his sex, sexts, uh, got out because unsurprisingly, the, one of the guy one of the guys on the WEF found that uh, his girlfriend was sex chatting Warren and got pissed and posted the stuff before he got banned. And of course it circulated. So people were like talking about the fact that Ellis was, you know, doing the cyber dirty as it were. So that part is not a secret. Yeah, I mean, if it's such a not secret that, like you said, sort of the thing with Toronto with Stuart, except more so, if it's so not not a secret that people who were not in the circle but just read the internet from that period knew about it, 
what did everyone else know and essentially well, at what stage and this is what are, i think is uh, crucial. Who, who is culpable right so one of the things that i think is that katie west who was the one who sort of popped the cork on this one of the things that she said which i think has a a lot of resonance is part of what's so particularly not t k n o t t y about this is these were not teenagers these were women in their early 20s and ellis was in his mid to late 30s at this point and um how do i put it as as she said she's like on the one hand i she's like i had agency i acted with agency she's like on the other hand was i had no power and i did not have the knowledge yeah that's just it like you know i had agency insofar as like i was not underage right but but like the on another hand like there's no agency right because they are they have none of the power right well they have none of the power or i think an important way to put it is is that they're only given power in this one particular way and I think this is semi-crucial, is Ellis gives them sort of full access to everything if he gets full access to them. Now, he has the power to turn that on and off. And of course, there's a variety of other things that he has that, you know, constitute charm and charisma. I mean, God help me, he looks like a shaved brown bear given a walking stick, but you know... Fair enough. Sometimes that works for people, but really it's more the combination, the power, the access, the complete focusing on the person and telling them how special they are. Uh, and and then pushing things into the realms of I'm in love with you. This is, you know, and it's at that point of when there's 50 women in a room and they're like, yeah, we're all getting the same story. What you're getting is something that is... Uh, in which every bit of agency in which a woman who is 20 um, is is having her agency cut out from under her by a predator. And this is something, because I was talking to someone who was like, he's not saying, he's not doing anything any worse than like a traveling salesman with a wife. And I'm like, no, no, I do not believe that one bit. Now, so one of the things that is rough is I had a friend who I know was close to Ellis. I don't know for sure, but I would be 95% sure they had this kind of relationship, or if not, it was of a sexual nature and i'm like that's so for me i think one of the things that makes this so difficult the ellis thing and it's part of why it needs part of what's hard is what west was saying to me made a ton of sense is it's a really complex issue to diffuse because i never would have said to my friend hey you're being sexually manipulated by an older dude because I respected her to know what she was 
doing? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. she was my age. She was had well been more sexually active than I could ever hope to be. And, you know, and I've not seen her say anything literally one way or another about all this in a way that makes me crazy. In a way that the fact that Matt Fraction and uh, Kieran Gillen and the majority of those dudes have said nothing. The, the more... I've seen more statements from people who were on, like uh, the guy who writes under Dr. Nerdlove had actually a really good article talking about the WEF and how important it was to him at a time. And his article is literally called like, on discovering your heroes or monsters, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it is a hundred percent more self, holds oneself to a standard self-aware not just self-aware but self-critical in a way now i don't know if you saw but kelly deuce kelly sue deconic released a 20 minute instagram video oh no i didn't see i saw i saw her yeah i was gonna say i saw her tweet at some point in the week saying something along the lines of like i'm not silent i'm listening or something right something that like you know uh, but at the same time bad that was I, bad. Yeah. Her- sure, but uh, but at the same time I understand the concept of I have to process this myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right? yeah. If it's close friend, I can completely understand the idea of like I actually have to work through this. Well, I think yes. I'm not silent I'm listening. Sure. Is not the way to say that. Oh yeah. Um but anyway, sorry, Kelly Sudeconic released the video. Well, so she did a 20-minute video, and the video is, she's like, I, for the past week, I've been in touch with the women. I've reached out to the women to whom this was happening, and working with them and trying to make resources available to them and apologizing to them and trying to help them. And, and kind of basically like, and everyone else, if you're just going to take me off your list because I didn't reply to you, uh, then just take me off your list. And one of the things that bothers me is is that, well, there's a couple of things. One is I hate the fact that I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about Kelly Sue because she gave, uh, on the one hand, a hundred times more honest response than Warren Ellis did, but her response is embarrassing embarrassingly bad and she says something along the lines of a couple of points of like hey if you people are going to cancel me after everything that i've done you know me you know who i am i'm like that doesn't work here like you when somebody that you thought you knew turns out to be a predator who did this thing for decades to 50 plus people you don't get to be the person right next to the person and be like hey you guys you know me and it was like, no, that's the point. That's why we want to find out. Again, sort of a little bit of the, what did you know and when you know it? And and she kind of was like, understandably, like, I am annoyed that people are trying to play SJW gotcha, which I get. But there is also a little bit of the stage of, I do understand when people are like, Hey, you you totally made you know told me that my racist mom had to own her shit, you know, and that mm-hmm. I had to own my shit about having a racist mom. What are you going to do? What do you get to own? And like I said, in this 20-minute thing, one of the things that became really apparent 
is that Kelly Sue was really annoyed that people were basically complaining on the internet that she wasn't coming up with any sort of response or reply. To step back a little bit, I don't know if you remember, but uh, Chris Hardwick, um, who was the host of The Talking Dead and had founded sure. The Nerdist and all that stuff, came under a lot of scrutiny when his ex-fiance talked about the abusive relationship that she was in with him mm -hmm. and why she had to end it. One of the things that a lot of people turned to slash on was one of his closest friends was Will Wheaton. And Will Wheaton on social media was incredibly all about calling other people on their shit. And so there was a little bit of like, okay, so what are you going to do? And he literally said like, you know, 24, 48 hours in, he's like, hey, I'm sorry that I'm not saying anything about my best friend until all the facts are in. And I was like, okay, fair enough. And then a week later, he deleted his Twitter account. And I'm like, okay, well, that's that, you know? Like, there's part <laughs> of me where I'm like, I don't, I feel like there is something to be said for, if only to prove some of the shitbags wrong, the idea that the SJWs get to have a double standard. Because generally, I don't think that they do. And like I said... I would really like to hear from a lot of people who are very, very progressive to say things other than I'm listening or even it's really frustrating that you guys are making me talk about this, you guys, you know, and saying like, I believe these women and this never happened to me. But there's a little bit of the, and you never heard it, like you never heard. And part of me is kind of like, I think it moves the ball forward more to say, I did hear those things and I did suspect, but I gave people the benefit of the doubt because so-and-so, A, never acted that way to me. B, and I think there is something to be said for this. Once you start talking about women in their early 20s not having the agency to make their own decisions, like that gets into... Oh, that gets into a weird area. You know, one of the things that really bummed me out about Kelly Sue's thing was she started talking about holding publishers accountable. And she started talking about, you know, and, and I'm like, that has nothing to do with this. I mean, the closest you can come is the fact that, that for example, G. Willow Wilson, who had a really thoughtful thread about this. And one of the things she said in her thread was like, I was on the Warren Ellis forum when I was like 19 or 20 and it seemed wrong as hell to me. And whenever I tried to bring it up, I just got shut down and I went away. But she's like, I felt like it was the emperor's new clothes. It just seemed rampant and no one could really explain it away. But she also said, but here's the thing. There's no entrance. And this is a little bit of what Kelly Sue was saying. There's no entrance to comics, you know, that, mm -hmm. and part of me is like, that's true and kind of not because comics have the lowest form of entry. Yeah. You and know and what honestly, I mean? it, it depends how you define comics, right? Right. Because when it comes to, you know, some of the most exciting comics that have been made in the last few years, they're not coming from comics as these people are talking about it. Right. They're coming from, you know, short box. 
They're coming from web comics. Mm-hmm. They're coming from Random House from First Second. They're coming from alternate, you know, non Marvel DC image right. outlets. Right. And, you and, know, and and there is much more of an in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like infinitely more. Well, but I think I think my thing is um a classic example is a lot of agents won't read self-published work. You know, like like if you're like Vanity Press in the book media means something incredibly different in comics world. If yes, you, yes. If you put together a comic of your ideas and you, you know, are able to draw it yourself or you work with someone else and you slide it over to someone, as long as it's not the editor of Batman and your comic is called, I don't know, Schmatman, you've got a pretty good chance of someone reading it and being like, oh, okay, you can tell a story visually, you can do this. They might cherry pick your author, your your artist out from under you. But hearing Kelly Sue kind of go on and on about these various solutions, I was like, these aren't these aren't solutions. And I have to say, there's part of me of like, as someone who works a day job, let me tell you, HR people are not necessarily that reliable. They are there to for the company, well, not like, the worker. Look, yeah, I mean, look at Eddie Berganza. Yes, right. Eddie, yeah, right. Yeah, like you know, that's saying that the publishers have to step up is don't get me wrong, not untrue, but also a complete distraction. Right. Because again, getting back to what everyone was saying about Cameron Shuri, getting back to what you were saying about Warren Ellis, the creative community apparently knew about this. Right. And did nothing to police itself. That's right. That's you know, right. and that's not a, on publishers. That is not on publishers. Exactly. So hearing her say that, I was just like, are you crazy? Like, and again, part of me is like, I even hate saying this stuff because if it had been Ellis saying that stuff, I'd be like, are you fucking joking? If if fucking Matt Fraction was saying something like, I mean, part of me is like, hey, dude. You've got the comic called Sex Criminals. Now that your mentor's a sex criminal, why don't you tell me what's going to happen in the next issue of Sex Criminals? You know? No, like... it's, it's, uh, I've so sort of tying into some of what you were saying. Uh, firstly, Kieran Gillen did say something. Did he? Uh, yeah, it was a uh, uh, somewhat weak, I believe, the victims thing. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, he said something. And also his... His situation is arguably more complicated because the first person who came forward is Jamie McKelvey's girlfriend. Oh, really? Oh, see, I did Yes. Know. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that's... I could see why he might not be, you know, raring to go with things. Uh, well, no, 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 no. I, I mean, this... this. No, no, I get right. that. No, no, no. I think that's great. Uh, that's actually good to know. That's a bit of context I don't know. Although part of me is like, again, that just shows how ridiculously complicated that's going to be. Like, all of this stuff is so untangled. Just the fact that some of these people, I feel, didn't... The fact that, that I didn't see a comment until Ellis had his his completely shitty comment out until Wait, he had released his statement. Define a comment. Sorry. I mean the, I am listening, be- believe oh, yeah, women... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's fine. That's not. That's those aren't statements anymore. Those used to be. No, no, no. Those, those are very um, generic, for want of a better way of putting it. They, they, you know, they, it, they it, yes. it, it honestly is 
the equivalent of someone saying Black Lives Matter now. Right. You or know, th- or thoughts agree. and prayers. You yes, know? I agree, but it all it also feels very much like the bare minimum. Yeah. Like the bare minimum to Exactly. Say. And also like such a no brainer mm-hmm. that I feel like almost doesn't need to be said. No, exactly. Exactly. You know? Right. Um anyway. Um, I agree with you. I didn't know Kelly said something. I, um, I've not seen what she said. I'm still happy that she said something. The lack of Matt Fraction's statement has been very palpable this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been very aware of that for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, there are lots of others who I would consider Ellis's peers that I'm surprised haven't said anything. I'm oh. surprised I haven't seen Rucka say anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Rucka say anything. Bendis say anything. Anyone fucking yeah. saying yes. anything yes. you know um, i was i was i on the ellis forum i lurked in the ellis forum you, you were i was going to ask you yeah yeah I remember because it you. basically mm-hmm. fucking scared me at mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. um how do you mean but, like it was it was hipster central like i was not cool enough to to say anything right yeah you know what i mean like it, it, it was it felt very like you were in or you were out and if you're out just don't fucking talk right you know um, which I but, hate, but yeah, yeah, but, but that's what it was, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the same, the same was true. Like when he came back with the engine, which again, I was like, I was quasi on, but again, I don't think I ever really posted anything because you're like, I wasn't cool enough. But nonetheless, it's you know, when when the Elves thing came out, I had this moment of like, I'm surprised, and I'm surprised, and I'm surprised, right? Because he did it all in public. The entire time. Exactly. He stupidly thought that it was so cartoonish that it was a pose. Right. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's in that sense, it's a brilliant comment. And that was the point where I was like, I'm just a fucking idiot. Because he was, he was, he was doing it publicly the entire time. Yep. And I was just like, he's playing it up. Mm-hmm. He's playing it up as a persona the same way that he plays up the Stalin shit. Right. Same way that he plays up the, like, it's 4 a.m. and I've got, like, seven whiteboards covered in everything. Mm-hmm. I thought all of this was basically, like, him putting on a persona. Mm-hmm. And then to discover that basically the persona is real. Yeah. was like, you, you fuck. Except it wasn't. The persona wasn't real because the persona gave the woman more agency than he had. Right. But, um, yeah, that was... Uh, it was a sobering moment for me, to be honest. Sure. Because it was that moment of like, shit, you've been doing it right in front of me this entire time. Yeah, right. And I've seen it, and I didn't believe it. Right. Right. You know? Uh, and that was very, very upsetting. And I, But I do wonder how much of the silence of the people that I want to see talking about it mm-hmm. comes from their going through that but more so. Mm, I mean, maybe. Sure. Yeah. I, again, I don't know, but I wonder that. I do. I wonder how much of it is them being like, "Shit, I was there for it. I supported it, and I didn't realize what I was supporting." Well, and again, part of me is one of the things that's great is you see people say that who were not. Again, this Doctor Nerdlove guy made it sound like he was about as distant from the cool kid click as you can get, but he participated in the conversations. He knew. Of people, and it was the same thing. He, it's, uh, he was like the ironic sexism and the ironic racism, and all of it was taken at a level of irony. And if you critiqued it, it was kind of, you know, you were too square, Daddy O. You know, like those people are able to say it. Like the people who are closer to me, when they don't say things, it leans. They look closer. 
yeah, it, it looks it looks more like they're like, uh, yeah, they're complicit and they have something to lose by admitting it. And and that's the part that really that is the part that bothers me is is like that's where I'm like, yeah, you should say something because otherwise even like you said, that level of conflict of I got snookered or even some level of I knew someone that had a bad relationship and got used by Ellis but I didn't connect it. I didn't assume that that was happening with 27 other yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't think that was the norm. Yes, exactly. And that and that that makes a lot of sense because like you said, and even saying like, I feel like a fucking fool is like, you know, I feel like I got taken. Like all of those things, what bothers me is the difference between us saying it is that we're not being we don't we we're not friends with warren ellis you know what i mean there's no fallout there and believe me there is it's it's hard to have situations where your mentor is a shitty friend or is is a shitty person sorry i'm sorry i'm flipping because i used to go through a thing but but if you think about it like it's it's very difficult to for to go because like i i at least have gone through things where you realize like this person i'm close to is actually a shit right exactly you know and and coming this is again why i'm willing to give like kelly sue fraction even though for some reason i'm really not like i honestly there's something about fraction where i'm like there's a horrible story about fraction somewhere i don't know why i think that Mm -hmm. like but for some reason like that's just been in the back of my head all week Mm -hmm. um but like other, I'm willing to give you know a Brubaker, a Rucker, or, or someone more of a pass. Mm-hmm. It's because I understand the feeling of like, oh shit, like I've supported this person, right? Like I, I've I've backed this person up, yeah. And this person was a shit, right? Like, and how uh, how much is on me, right? How much is on me for enabling? How much is on me for not seeing it? How much is is on me for for being present when it was happening and not knowing it was happening, or worse, how much is present? How much of it is on me for knowing that something was up but right. not wanting to say something? Right. So you know, like that takes time to work through. It does. Right. Right. No, it does. And and, I, and so it's that's why I completely feel your frustration, but I also feel that like you know. Six days after this has happened, us being like, I can't believe so and so and so and so and so so hasn't made a statement. Sure, feels too fast. I don't know. Like it, it almost feels selfish. It feels like we're turning it into like a spectacle as opposed to like people dealing with like their fucking emotions. I agree, but part of me is is that, and like I said, as frustrated as I am by Kelly Sue's thing, and as as. I mean, because I really do think it is pretty poor, uh, ultimately. I'm willing to give her credit for it. Like, and that's it. Yeah, and I feel like my standards in that sense are relatively low. So, like I said, I I didn't want to center myself in the narrative. And the I did it backwards because I was going to start with the fact of... Um, I, was, I was a comics experience when Warren Ellis did a signing... And I ended up working crowd control slash security at the event. And then afterwards, I went and uh, ate 
and one of the uh, Thai food with everyone. And I sat across from Ellis and he was clearly exhausted. I was actually exhausted. And so once or twice, he just looked at me while he chewed his food and lifted his eyebrows. And, you know, part of me is like, I appreciate the fact that he saw me looking at him and was willing to sort of, quote unquote, give enough of himself to lift his eyebrows. Because I knew that he had been in comics experience when it was sweltering hot and signed tons and tons of books for like two hours. But the point of the story is actually that in the Thai restaurant, everyone ordered food to be shared family style. And Ellis ordered a big bowl of shrimp that he did not share with anyone. And that to me so puts the lie as if there weren't 9 million other lies to the fact that he was Mr. Like, oh, I can't believe that anyone saw me as anything special and I was just uh, an yeah, equal. That was, you know what I mean? But, I mean, but like there's – that was just such a uh, an appallingly shameful thing for him to say. Yeah, because like because that, it's that, not even it, an apology; it, it, it's an excuse yes, and a bad his one. Statement, mm-hmm. His apology statement is a fucking embarrassment. Yeah, absolutely it's just horrible. Yeah, is is offensive. Yeah, uh, it it's genuinely difficult to overstate how bad that statement was. Absolutely, absolutely. Fucking lootly. But so then I was going to lead into the fact of my friend who is my former friend uh, who totally uh, ran with that crowd. I is still, as far as I know, close to members of it. You know, I'm 90 percent sure. And uh, and that that is hard for me because there are ways in which part of my frustration is. I suspect, um, just for the full disclaimer of, of everyone involved, that there's a way in which part of me was like, okay, my hurt feelings of like, you chose their friendship, got rid of mine, can't you at least be accountable? You know what I mean? Like, so I'm aware that I've got, um, in the in the weird way, like people would say, like, oh, okay, so you've got some some beef with Ellis, and I don't think that that's true, but I do want to put that stuff out there. So if people are like, oh, Jeff's pretty apoplectic, you know, that has always been something that kind of bummed me out a little bit was losing this person's friendship and never knowing how much of it was the oh they just moved on to the cool kids side of the table and left me at mm-hmm. my table. And and whether or not that provide I don't think that provided any sort of animus in my other readings or interactions or understandings of of pretty much most of that crowd whose work has not clicked for me. And I keep wanting to give it tries and I keep trying to give everyone involved the benefit of the doubt. But this is one of those situations where part of what I'm appalled by is knowing that part of what you know it's that whole thing when people when young artists get together is they all act like they are so unbelievably fearless and brave and unafraid to say anything and seeing of course 
like you said, this thing, I understand, I do understand. They're thinking it's hard. It's, it's hard times. Part of it, of course, is this idea that they're, they're, you know, the mentor, the person that they've shackled themselves to is, you know, kind of a huge turd. And, and the idea of, of the difficulty of, of cutting ties or saying that you're conflicted about somebody it seemed to me that Katie West and Meredith and a lot of the other women that I saw come forward, even some of the defenders like Molly Crabapple did a better job of, of embodying the ambivalence of their feelings in a way that is important. And this is maybe my point, which I don't necessarily know, is that if anything's going to save us, it's by saying things. People like you talking about the Whisper Network's not working, like you don't need the Whisper Network's if the people who are willing to say things even if they're going to make themselves look dumb or completely biased, as I like to think that I might have done with my Thai food former friend story, may seem, is that it can give somebody fucking context because predators prey on you having no other context than what they're telling you. You know? Mm-hmm. One of the things that and and I think that's ultimately where I think I I'm going to leave it. If you've if you've got other points, I will. I I I definitely want to hear them, and I apologize if, as always, I ended up sucking the air out of the room on this one. But I was so I spent so much of, and it's been a shitty week in so many other ways. Don't get me wrong, but spending a lot of time doing not. In fact, was it Ellis who who used the term doom scrolling? You'd mentioned yes. That? Yeah, it was Ellis to use the term doom scrolling. Yeah, yes. So, ironically enough, I thought of that term as I was like, "Is that what I'm doing? Is is am I am I just doom scrolling slash like super shoddenfrouding it?" And I kind of would like to think that I don't that it's not the case, but I want to believe that what I'm hoping is what I've feel like we're always have been trembling on on the corner of black lives matter seeing enough white people saying like no it's not their problem it's our problem and not even just white people saying that about black people but progressive white people saying it about themselves not about conservative white people you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's where it sort of starts feeling like something finally might fucking happen. So, but until then, I'm just kind of sick. I'm just sick of it. I mean, sickened by it, I guess. So. I th- I think, I think that's. I think it's arguably a good place to leave it. I t- we didn't even get to the third person. No, we didn't. It now, do you mind telling me? And I can cut it, cut this out. Is it Brendan H. Wright? Yeah. 
Yeah, which is a shame. I, maybe we'll leave this part in because Brendan Wright listens to the podcast, has uh, uh, tweeted with me before, and actually sent us some books to review. Uh, I I saw that. Yes, and I, then that came this, out. Do you want to know something funny, quote unquote? Sure. Uh, I found out about Brendan Wright the day before it went public, the night before it went public, because of one of those whisper networks. Wow. Holy and shit. I, my first thought was, shit, he's just sent us some books. Yeah, 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 he does. So, I mean, this... Yeah, it, I literally I literally found, heard that story like the night before. Yeah, yeah. I, I When I heard it, I was like, I, I, I was oh, because I think you actually retweeted it. I was like, oh, fuck, that guy just has been nice to us and actually sent us books that I was looking forward to reading. Shit. So... I guess I have to do that. I mean, you remember Zach. I'm going to screw up Zach's last name. Was it just Smith? The guy who, um, yes. you know, no. the, Wait, am I thinking of a different person? The, the artist down in LA who did porn stars with D&D. I was on his We Eat Art podcast. Yes, yes. Zach yes. Sabbath. Zach Sabbath. Yes. Yeah. He, you know, I had to block him when it came out that his, his, uh, ex-girlfriends had statements of sexual assault by him and i was like fuck you I know didn't even... yeah i it was a that was that was quite the bummer i really i liked talking with him i, I had a great time on his podcast i was like oh fuck and the weird part is how much his whole maelstrom is such a like oh i'm being canceled by people who are trying to cancel me because you know because i'm being misrepresented and there are people who seem to be misrepresenting him and then there are also people who are like no he's a hideous human being and we're taking his name off of the playtester section of the dungeons and dragons fifth edition jesus you know the thing that's insane is how much like other people also were saying like oh this just shows you like comics Comics has got to grow up. I'm like, fucking oh, Matt. That's just it. It's not fucking comics. It's not fucking Matt Lauer had a had a supervillain rape door. He's Matt fucking Lauer. You know, like I'm like but the problem there was, there was is something... men in power. Yeah, and yes. and that is that, the problem. I mean, that's that's the truth, though, right? Yeah. The problem. The problem is men. Yes. That is the problem. It's not comics, you know, and it's as much as as fun as it is to be like, oh, yeah, it's pretty glib that, you know, when you're like, hey, because I even retweeted something like that where somebody was like, hey, maybe the problem is, you know, if you take an industry filled uh, with stories of people in tights who can only solve things by punching one another and then you put you know, editors who worship those people in charge of maintaining it, maybe you get like a soup of toxic masculinity. I'm like, sure, that explains the morning news show. Like, you know, it's just fucking, it's men, it's everywhere. Good luck trying to dismantle that system. On the other hand, (laughs) it's 2020, the fact that the system is falling apart and therefore only needs some minor helping hands to help it come to pieces might be a good thing might be a good <laughs> did you see i didn't that, cl- yeah that's, sorry. The, that's the weird thing right where it's like you know you know what kind of seems like the system is falling apart and so well you know it's not the worst thing right right no i mean there is something that's like that somebody i i didn't click through on it but like apparently the atlantic had an article where somebody was arguing that 
essentially maybe one of the good things to come out of the coronavirus is after us grieving for the death of the status quo is the we can change it, you know, and and part of that, of course, I do think relates really strongly to seeing how the government what the government says is a status quo and what isn't and realizing how capricious that is. And hopefully we can move that up the line. You know, I hope so. Cause the problem is you got too many people who are, I really have to say like, did, did Ellis just have a tight budget? Why couldn't they have gotten a better PR person? Like why, why was that such a shitty, like so shitty as to be, like I said, openly contemptuous of its readers, unless you're openly contemptuous of its readers. Like at the same time, part of me was like, did they just not have the budget to hire anyone? You know what I mean? Like, did... it, it's kind of. It, I mean, hopefully you're going to at least uh, link the tweet that had the statement in it. The yeah, statement in it. I guess so. But yeah. it's it's um, it's amazing that it took three days for that statement. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I I say that again. Cameron Stewart hasn't said dick. Well, sure. The thing that's hilarious is the number of people on Twitter this week who have been like, oh, my God, Alice. ah, I've never heard of this Cameron Stewart person. But, oh, my God. I was like, really? Cameron Stewart's a good artist. I like his work. Like, arguably, I was more crushed in a way as somebody who, who really thought that his... His art, like whenever he showed up in a book, I was like, yay, the art's going to be good. Now I'm like, fuck, you know, so. Do you want to know this thought has occurred more than once? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I hate this thought has occurred. Do you remember when Cameron Shirt did a guest issue of Batman Incorporated? Yes. Do you remember what the plot of that issue was? No. Batgirl going undercover in the girls' school? Oh, no. Oh yeah. no! Yeah. Really? Oh. Yeah, and I'm like, either that's a very unfortunate coincidence, or we kind of have to ask, how much did Grant Morrison know? Right. Well, I mean, that's it. When did you know? And when you know? What did they know? When did they know it? Like, part of me is like, oh, sure, he thought that would have been funny, or the editor thought it would have been funny. For that matter, it's like the the idea that he got to co-write a book about it was Batgirl. You know what I Bat- mean? Bad girl. Uh, what, is, what is again um, funny? Or, uh, I mean, funny is with not the right quotes. Word. Yeah, yeah. Maybe in retrospect, mm-hmm. it's the number of people at the time who are like, "Why have they made Bad Girl younger?" Yes, right. Yeah, completely, completely. You know, yeah. and it's like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. 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 The hits just keep coming. Um, again. This shit was happening right in front of her eyes. Yes. Well, because, and that's it. I think that is the, that there's always the part that, um, uh, the part that that sort of cheers, cheers one, that the thing that you can take source on is, um, you know, Herman Melville wrote a book called The Confidence Man. Uh, It was actually, I think, his last uh, published novel during his lifetime. And I, you know, it did not, uh, sell well as many of his later books did not but it's a kind of a brilliant novel because the confidence man was a 
thing that was kind of making the rounds in the news at the time. The 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 con men is I'm sure we've always had with us, but the con, which is short for confidence, uh, came from this idea of people who were uh, being conned. And the way that Melville put it is essentially that the con man shows us that we essentially that there is human good or else it would not be exploited by the con man. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't know Mm -hmm. to exploit it. And similarly, the con man's ability to exploit comes from the fact that we have confidence in our fellow man. So the thing when we turn around and blame ourselves, (laughs) this is so funny, as opposed to blaming the members of the Warren Ellis forum is like not, you know, (laughs) totally, sorry, I totally like ended up screwing up my whole point. My point was basically, you're right. We should be a little more, willing to be gentle on ourselves and i am willing to be gentle on the people who are willing to come forward and say things when people are just kind of silent at stages like this so you're what you're saying is you're seeing silence as complicity but you're willing to be gentle on people who come forward and say i haven't thought it through but yeah for me, very much so. And I know that that sounds, that probably sounds a little Robespierre-like or Javert-like or whatever anyone's like favorite, you know, those who step forward and admit their crimes will be forgiven and the rest will be put to the torch. And then inevitably everyone gets put to the torch. Uh, I don't, I, I really do want to believe that about, because... Yeah, I just feel like that that is when these things happen, it's understandable for people to get flipped out and look at one another. And again, look at the people next to that person and be like, you know, kind of like, how did how did you how did you not know, you know, or what did you know, you know? And anyway, it's fuck. Anyway, Graham, I'm circling the drain here. Guess what? Next week's a skip week, which is great because Jeff can drink himself into oblivion. Way. And then look at all the whiteboards ahead of you. <laughs> Project. That is true. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you're right. I don't drink. I do pot. It's a totally different thing, Graham. Totally different. Totally different. There's no whiteboards. There's just a Nintendo <laughs> Switch. Uh, there's no whiteboards. There's just existential dread. Just existential it's, dread. It's, exactly. it's funny. I was like, I don't think we're going to be able to talk that much about it because all we'll say is like it's terrible. And I think we just spent an hour saying it's terrible in in lots of of different ways. And there's so much of it that's terrible. There is, and maybe we didn't even really because I ended up talking about the same six points ever and ever again. People, thank you. Graham, thank you. I have to say, I didn't say this at the beginning, but I should have. One of the things that I was thinking when I was gardening earlier today was that there have been times, and this was definitely one of those times where I was like, I am not looking forward to the podcast because I wasn't sure how I was going to do anything but sound like a self-righteous dick. And with the uh, adi- additional soups on of this just makes me feel unpleasant. I just 
I'm obviously clearly well, bothered. It, We're it, both bothered by it. You know? Yeah, I was going to say, like, Jeff, if, if this doesn't make you feel unpleasant, then what the fuck is wrong with you? Right. No, exactly. So, but the idea is like, well, clearly we're going to have to talk about it. But I did have that moment of even on the few times where I've had like a, oh, I'm not looking to podcasting. I'm always looking forward to talking to you. So that, thank you. That's one of those things that I was like, yeah, but I'm really going to appreciate talking with Graham. So Graham Jamiroquay. Uh, Aloysius Alfalfa McMillan. So, Alouetta, Jonti Alouetta. Yeah, exactly. You know what? Uh, I, Jonti Alouetta, Alouetta, Jonti Blumberry. Hey! I actually used to know all the lyrics to that song. So, I so did I, way back when. Really? Oh, that's good. Yeah. Really? That's, did I you take French? Oh, yeah. Did you? Did you, I, you? I did. I took, I took French and I took, well, in my high school, oh, I had to I take forgot. two years of French. And I took four years of German. Do I remember any of it? Do I fuck? Oh, uh, I remember you I, going I, to Paris, the whole Paris nightmare. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, but also I do remember that my final German oral exam, I remembered so little that it was essentially 15 minutes of me and the teacher staring at each other in silence. <laughs> that's that's not a joke. It was at, at whatever age I was at that point, maybe the most awkward experience I had ever had because i remembered so little and the rule was that she couldn't speak to you in english <laughs> she could only speak to you in german and i remembered so little it really was like 15 minutes of the two of us just staring at each other entirely silent i am not good with languages i let's just i that. love the idea that your grade was sort of command of language a fail but your sense of inherent germanness was like an a plus you know what i mean like only I had gotten graded for that, and not the. I want to say like I got a D or something. <laughs> I was so 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 bad. Oh, so bad. Ah. So bad. I only took German because my sisters had both taken French, mm, mm. and that like that was a mistake in in every. Like don't get me wrong, I've been to Germany and I had a terrible time, and so maybe like yeah, it was all of it was a mistake. Oh man. Oh, man. I was in Germany for 24 hours. Uh, and the most memorable part of it. Yeah. The most memorable part was the woman on the train who heard us speaking English and shit talked her entire country to us for the entire ride. That was a German woman who did not like being German at all. She's like, these people, they are all terrible. It's It was... <laughs> great i was like wow i'm sorry ma'am like i almost should invite you along with us but i gotta say you're a little too german for me so sorry uh yeah it was uh it was uh that was a wacky story wow i just slurred the germans everybody that was a bad joke i have to say she was she was a perfectly <laughs> fine person think yourself out think yourself out this has been a weird fucking episode yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm really, yeah. I'm glad we got to talk about comic books up front, even if though some of it was dark metal and some really bad porn. And a lot of Gerard Jones. I'm very impressed at how much a it lot was. Of, I, a lot of, I have a lot of Gerard Jones. I have I have practically relived that entire man, that man's like entire early 90s career in the last few weeks. Should we call this episode Cancelled Comics Cavalcade? 
<laughs> yes. Yes, we should. <laughs> yes, we should. I should say, I'm not sure if everyone knows why Gerard Jones is, is cancelled. Gerard Jones is cancelled because he pled guilty to child pornography like three years ago, four years ago. Oh, shit. That was my other story. Shit. So, Graham, you the other thing that came out when what? people were talking about this. Yes. Hold on. Let me get my – because I screenshot it on my iPad. So every once in a while, I read, you know, a lot of manga. And, you know, there was a little bit, as you know, we talked about the, you know, how to lose money in manga without really trying, essentially. Yeah. Um, and the, oh wait, there were, people were talking about the manga. The the there was a manga creator who who yes, so he, who basically had a comeback after pleading guilty to child pornography, right? Yes, yes, he did. Uh, Nobuhiro Watsuki literally got arrested for child porn. He had God. Did I put this? Up? Did I did it on the screenshot? Do I not have it? Is it on my Safari window? He he literally they found dozens of files of young girls um in in sexual situations. He literally said he was arrested for it. His manga s- stopped being published and shown in jump. His uh manga is uh, give me a minute Ruroni Kenshin, which was in very very popular. He then was fined um, 200,000 yen. Oh, sorry. I'm jumping ahead. He literally said in his deposition that he prefers girls from late elementary to early junior high school. Holy fucking shit. Yes. And I'm glad you said that. So... So that we don't have the buzzy version. But yes, so appalling that you said, holy fucking shit. Here is the amazing thing. He got fined 200,000 yen at his trial, which is, in case you were wondering, $1,900 American. And then he was released. No. And then Shonen Jump started publishing his manga again. And then uh, Ichiro Oda, who is the manga artist who created One Piece, who is arguably is the best-selling manga and comic series of all time, uh, interviewed um, uh, Watsuki for um, in part because the, because a museum is running a retrospective of the best of Rurouni Kenshin. So, so you got to admit, like as fucked up as our society is, uh, Gerard Jones has not seen any money for digital as opposed to Mr. Um, uh, the delightful Nobuhiro Watsuki literally find $1,900 despite being incredibly wealthy serving i don't think any jail time unless he served time from the time he was arrested to the time that he was put in trial in which case it was less than a year and just went back to his job like nothing ever happened so 
And let me tell you, that is quite the viper's nest. Now, admittedly, I don't actually, I only heard about this secondhand through Twitter. If anyone who follows the manga thing more closely knows something that maybe makes this story sound a little less flabbergastingly oh, appalling. Oh, Like what? I... Like, like what? What is it going to be? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm sure what they're going to say is the Japanese, it's a different culture. Yeah, yeah there's your there's your happy ending to this week's episode. Yes. Wait, what, listeners? You know what, not it, it could be worse. It could be, like, at least the American comic industry isn't quite as fucked up as the Japanese comic industry. Right. Hey, thumbs up all around. Woo, Let's we win, everybody. USA, USA, USA. Jesus fucking yeah. right. Remember when we just used to be talking about, like, the collapse of the direct market? <laughs> Happy days. Happy days. Happy days indeed. Oh my. Yes, indeed. Graham, next week's a skip week, right? It is. It is. I don't know if you, Jeff, uh, happened to look at our calendar this week. This week was going to be a skip week at some point, and apparently we just forgot that. Oh, shit. Oh, right. Next week's a skip week, Uh, so that's fine. Uh, And then the week after that, it's probably also going to be a skip week, because it'll be Independence Day weekend. Right. Okay. So um, let's say we're going to be back in two weeks, everyone. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hopefully the world will be better and the comics marketplace will be better. Um... (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) That is the most cynical laugh I've ever heard from you. I'm very impressed. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, at the rate things are going. Yeah. No kidding, right? Oh, Uh... Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, this is where I start to wrap things up by saying there's going to be show notes for this up at waitwhatpodcast.com this week. Probably by the time you hear this, because Jeff is on top of his shit. Uh, there is also going to be uh, things at the waitwhatpod.tumblr.com and instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. Although this week there wasn't on the Instagram. It was a weird week, everyone. Uh, I was going to say something. I was going to start an entirely different topic there, and I won't. Ooh. But I will. Ooh. All I was going to say is, it sounds ridiculous. The reason there's literally nothing on the Instagram this week is because I was going to do something the other day, but I instead watched the screeners for the new season of Doom Patrol. <laughs> no jury would convict you, Graham. No jury I, would convict I, you. I, I think I made the right choice, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, we also have a Twitter account, at Wait What Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account, at LazyBastard, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And I have a Twitter account, at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. We are a Patreon-supported podcast, which means Jeffrey Lester steps up to the microphone and is ready to bust some rhymes. Jeff? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess I am. I got so much trouble no, on my no, mind. No, Refuse no, to no, lose. No, Wait, what? No? No. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's good because I actually don't know many more lyrics after that for that, which is a shame. Refuse to lose. Uh, it, um... Listeners, you guys are great. You really are. When I talk about being able to to talk to Graham and looking forward to that, don't get me wrong. When it, the times when I don't look forward to talking about comics, I think after this episode, you can get a gist of why. Thank you for listening to this. I hope it wasn't too intolerable. I also hope that if I'm out of line and deserve a good roasting, you will let me know. I appreciate that you guys... Uh, um listen to us and that i have been corrected and kept in check 
um, by listeners over the years. And I would like to think that that has um, made me, uh, uh, if not a better person, at least a less asinine person. And, you know, I'll take what I can get. So we're grateful to you. We're especially grateful to the people at Patreon who not only support us with their ears, but a little bit of their hard-earned dosh to also similarly inspire us to do better and do more. As uh, thanks to them, we did Baxter Building, our uh, read-through of the first 416 issues, Fantastic Four, all in one neat little self-contained 50-issue package. And we are well on the way into our reading of the uh, complete Judge Dredd case files, reading Judge Dredd in chronological order from the very beginning. Um, we have many, many more volumes to go. It has been an amazing and enlightening odyssey for me. And I'm always thrilled and excited when I hear about other people who have been reading or for the first time or even rereading uh, along with us. That is incredibly great. And that is a gift that you, the people of Patreon, have given to us, which I am hugely grateful for. Also hugely grateful to uh, Dominic L. Franco uh, and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for their continuing support of this podcast uh, and the uh, Cosmic Realm, as it were. Normally, I made a point to say that that's just Empress Audrey, but I'm going to put Dominic in there, too. I've decided to make uh, Dominic uh, acknowledge his role as a galactic defender. We appreciate it, uh, and we appreciate all of you. Graham? I think that's quite a, uh, an upgrade for Dominic. Congratulations. I feel that the promotion is well-deserved, Dominic. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're off for the next two weeks. We are going to be taking a scope week, and then we're going to be taking a second scope week because it's a holiday weekend. Yeah. We will be back after that. So we will actually be back in three weeks because when I said two weeks, I meant three weeks. I meant we had two skip weeks. <laughs> Don't listen to me. I get confused, people. Ah! We'll three weeks because we have two skip weeks coming up you can't see this i'm actually holding my fingers up to make sure i get this right i actually believe you and i gotta say i'm more confused now than when you started so yes there's not an episode next week there's not an episode the week after that either there will be an episode the week after that which is three weeks from now <laughs> that's what i'm saying <laughs> what lex luther stole 22 cakes and that was terrible uh <laughs> Oh boy, the only thing I have left to say is bye! knows maybe that's maybe that's how they're paying people maybe the ups people are so pissed at having to being on being an essential worker in these times that they're like fuck it i'm taking 10 percent off the top 
Every two pillows, two pillows for you, one pillow for me. So, um, well, that was an incredibly petty story. I wish I'd saved that for the podcast. That would have made me look better. 